please to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we aren't going to read all the passage, of course, but we're going to focus on the first chapter of Genesis. And as we prepare for God's word, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege of coming together and worshiping together. We thank you so much for all that has been done here already. We thank you for the wonderful songs of praise that we have sung together, Lord. We, we thank you, Lord, so much for the Sunday school hour that we've had to, to study your word. And now as we turn to your word once again and seek to learn more about it, we pray that you would be our teacher. We thank you so much that you are the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We thank you so much for that. So, Lord, we just commit this hour to you for you to be glorified in all that is said here and done here today. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer, he was the founder and first president of Dallas Theological Seminary, where I had the privilege to study, he would remind his students over and over again, God never grows weary with new beginnings. God never grows weary with new beginnings. You know, that statement is as true today as it was the day that, that Dr. Chafer uttered those words. God never grows weary of new beginnings. Do you feel like you need a new beginning today? You can have just that, I promise you. You know, our church has embarked on an exciting new journey in our church's long 236-year history. A new beginning. God has graciously provided this beautiful worship center and classroom complex as a tool to get the gospel out, to help us fulfill his vision for our church. God's vision of reaching our world for Jesus and discipling them one person at a time. I'm excited about that. I hope you are. You know, it's never been about a building. Never has been. We've been saying that from the very outset that we started this project. It's really all about Jesus. It's about what God wants to do in and through us. And I believe that can be defined as a new beginning. You know, when you search the scriptures, there are many new beginnings in the Bible. In this sermon, what I would like for us to do in this series, I would like for us to look at some of these new beginnings that are spelled out in the pages of the Word of God. I want to call your attention this morning to that very first new beginning, creation. And what a new beginning that was. <laughs> what a new beginning that was. I invite you to turn with me to the first chapter and the first verse of the book of Genesis. The first chapter and the first verse of the book of Genesis. Where it reads in verse 1, In the beginning God. Now you know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the original Hebrew text 
in the original Hebrew text, God is the first word in the sentence. And it literally reads something like this, God in the beginning. The Hebrew word for God here is Elohim. Elohim, God in the beginning. And what that tells us is simply this, that God alone was present in the beginning. There was nothing but God, nothing but God. Now, this literally blows our mind because it is impossible for us to wrap our minds around that thought, to wrap our minds around the greatness, the majesty, the eternality of God. I want you to listen to with me to the psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And what the psalmist is simply saying is, God is eternal. He has always existed from the beginning of time. When there was nothing, when there was nothingness, there was God. You know, in my first church in rural Robinson County, North Carolina, I mean, it was really rural back then, I promise you. A deacon asked me a question. It was during a deacon's meeting. He said, who is God's mother? Well, at first, you know, I thought that was the stupidest question anybody could ask anyone, especially a deacon. Anybody ought to know that God does not have a mother. But, you know, I've gotten smarter through the years. And later on, I came to understand that, that this man, in all innocence, he was just trying to wrap his mind around the eternality of God. Something that is impossible for us to do. Something that is completely beyond our comprehension and our understanding. God is eternal. God is eternal. When there was nothingness, there was God. The Bible also teaches in the first chapter of Genesis that God is also creator. He's creator. Look again at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God created the world and everything in it out of nothing. The Latin phrase for that is ex nihilo, out of nothing. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen, that is what is created, was not made out of things that are visible. He created everything out of nothing. Cambridge professor and scientist Stephen Hawking, he writes these words about this universe that God created. He says, we know that our galaxy is only one of some 100,000 million galaxies. Imagine that. That can be seen using a modern telescope. Each galaxy itself containing some 100,000 million stars. Now, now try wrapping your mind around that. Try wrapping your mind about the vastness, around the vastness of, of this universe. And God created it all. God created the 100,000 million galaxies in our universe. He created 
the hundred thousand million stars in each of these galaxies. He created it all. He created every speck of dust in the hundred thousand million galaxies of this universe. You know, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 and 26, God speaks through his prophet. And this is what God says through his prophet Isaiah. He says, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, that is mere man, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is creator. He's creator. The origin of the universe and life is not a result of chance, like some would have us to believe. It is not some big bang that that started this universe. It's not the result of evolution. The origin of this universe and life is a result of God's creation. God created it all. Look with me at verse 2, the first part of the verse. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. This is a description of God's original creation. When God first created, the earth was much like a round, smooth ball covered with water and total darkness. It was without shape, empty, and dark. But in creation... God acted like a divine potter. As a potter takes a raw lump of clay and places it it on his wheel in order to shape it into a vessel of beauty, God first creates an unfinished earth without form and void and then forms it and fills it. Forms it and fills it. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. And the Spirit of God was hovering upon the face of the waters. And God said, I want you to look at the word spirit just for a moment. Of course, this is a reference of the Holy Spirit, no question about that, but it also can mean breath. As the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, His divine breath uttered the word, let there be light, and there was light. Before God created the luminaries, God himself was that light. The psalmist declares in Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath, notice the breath of his mouth, all their host. You see, God created this world and all that is in it by the power of his almighty word. Verse 2 describes the earth in its unformed and empty state. And verses 3 and following describes the six days of creation. In the six days of creation, God worked two primary works. Number one, he forms what was formless. And number two, he fills what was empty. He forms what was formless and he fills what was empty. Now, don't miss this. Please, please pay attention. On days one, two, and three, God forms 
He brings shape to his creation. On days four, five, and six, God fills his creation. Oh, my friend, there is a remarkable correspondence between the first three days of creation and the last three days of creation. Day one corresponds with day four. Day two corresponds with day five. And day three corresponds to day six. It's so beautiful what God does in his creation. Now listen up. On day one, God forms, he creates light. Let there be light, and there was light. On day four, he fills, he fills his creation with the great luminaries, the sun, the moon, the stars. On day two, God forms. He creates the sky and separates the waters above the sky from the waters below the sky, the seas or the oceans. On day five, he fills. He fills the sky and seas with birds and fish. On day three, God forms. He, he separates the oceans from the dry land. But what does he do in verse, on day six? He fills. He fills the land with animal life and creates man to rule over the earth. And God does it all in six days. Now, I personally believe God created everything in six 24-hour days. I know that there are those who, who would disagree with that. But I personally believe he did it in, in six 24-hour days. And the reason I believe that is because that's what's really presented in the Scriptures, okay? That's the way the Scriptures present it. And I believe if you can take, if you can take the Bible literally, you need to take it literally. But there's another reason. And I think this is a very important reason. Every place in Scripture when the word day, the Hebrew word yom, is preceded by a number like first day, second day, third day, it always refers to a 24-hour solar day, always. And this is exactly what we find in the creation account. Follow with me. Look at verse 5. There was evening and morning the first day. The eighth verse, there was evening and morning the second day. Verse 13, there was evening and morning the, the fourth day. Verse 19, there was evening and morning the fourth day. In verse 26, there was evening and morning the fifth day. In verse 31, there was evening and morning the sixth day. Okay. You know, what's so wonderful about the gospel project that we're studying in Sunday school is that it shows the entire Bible pointing to Jesus Christ. It all points to Jesus. Jesus is the theme of the Bible. The Old Testament looks back, looks forward, excuse me, to Jesus. The New Testament looks back to Jesus Christ. The Bible is one grand narrative, one unfolding story that points to Jesus as Messiah and Savior. It looks at his preexistence before he was even born a baby in Bethlehem. It looks to his birth, his virgin birth. It looks to his life. It looks to his death. It looks to his resurrection and his return, his coming again. And we see this clearly in the creation account. Jesus is the light. Jesus is, the, Jesus is that light that shone in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the light. 
Just as God was the source of light in the beginning before the creation of the sun, Jesus is the light of the world. In fact, Jesus claimed to be that. In John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And by Jesus claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus was claiming to be God. Claiming to be God. Second, Jesus is creator. Jesus was there when creation was spoken into existence. In fact, all three members of the Trinity were there. The Spirit was there, if you remember. The Spirit was hovering over the, over the deep, over the waters. The Father was there. The Father was the one who spoke the word, let there be, and there was. And the Son was there too. In fact, the New Testament teaches clearly that Jesus is the agent of creation. The Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? That's Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And the Word was with God in the beginning, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And the Word was God, and we can say today is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was created without Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Paul agrees. Paul agrees with the Apostle John. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, we read, For by him, that is by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You know, we sing, this is my father's world. Have you ever sung that hymn? This is my father's world. And to my listening ear, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest, I rest me in this thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning white, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. Yes, is. Yes, this is our Father's world, but it was made by the Son and for the Son, Jesus Christ. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the flowers, the trees, all animal life, all sea life, all mankind was made by Jesus and for him, for his glory. In fact, you were made to bring glory to God. You and I were, were created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. And we were created to bring him glory. We were not created to live a life as we see fit. We were not created, created to do our own thing. We were not created to fulfill our own agenda. We were created to live our lives for Jesus and for his glory and his glory alone. Let me ask you, is your life bringing glory to Jesus Christ? You know, our church is to bring glory to God, to fulfill his vision for us. You know, God didn't put us here 236 years ago 
to do our own thing. God didn't put us here 236 years ago to have our own way. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. God put us here strategically, I'm convinced, to reach a lost world for Jesus and to make disciples for him. You know, our forefathers could not have imagined where we are today, how strategic we are today to reach a lost world. We need to be faithful in doing that. And if we aren't doing it, we're missing the boat. And then finally, I want us to see that Christ is the sustainer. He's the light, he's the creator, and he's also the sustainer. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Without the mighty power of the Son of God in our world today, there would not be order, only chaos. Just as Jesus brought order out of chaos in the beginning, Jesus can bring order in your life and my life. Does your life seem hopeless? Jesus gives hope. Well, see, the same Jesus who flung the stars out into space is the same Jesus who can bring order in your life and my life. He's able to turn your night into day, your hopelessness into hope, if you put your trust in him. See, creation was a new beginning. He created this world out of nothing. He took what was unformed and formed it. He took what was empty and filled it. He formed and he filled. God wants to do the same in your life. God wants to do the same in our church. He wants to form. He wants to shape. He wants to remake. He wants to fill. First, God wants to form. He wants to form, reshape, change your life. You know, he is the potter, and we are the clay. You know, the clay has no right to tell the potter what to do with the clay. The clay simply places itself in the hands of the potter to do with it whatever he desires. It is the design, divine potter's desire to conform you and me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, to make us like Jesus. But we have to allow him to have his way in us. I'm wondering if you're willing to say this morning, God, I'm just through with trying to run my life my own way. Jesus, I turn the reins of my life over to you. Are you willing to say that to God? You will not be sorry. You know, I, I've never met a person who was sorry to make that decision. Never in my life. I've never met anyone who says, I'm sorry I made that decision to allow Jesus Christ to control my life. I've never met anybody who said, I'm sorry about that. But I've met many people who were sorry for not doing it and said, oh, I wish I'd done it long ago. I wish I'd done it long, long ago. God also wants to form, shape, and change our church. He really does. He wants to form, shape, and change our church. 
You know, there's not a church on the face of the earth that doesn't need changing, including ours. You know why? Because it's made up of flawed people like you and me. It's made up of preachers like me. It's, it's made up of, of men and women like you. We all need to be changed. And yes, God wants to change our church. He wants our church to be less ingrown and more outgrown. He wants our church to be more outwardly focused in the community and less inwardly focused. Yes, the church is to care for one another, but not by neglecting a lost world out there who needs Jesus Christ. You know, holy huddles are fine. Everybody likes that. Everybody likes holy huddles where we love one another, but we must not neglect to embrace a lost world out there who needs Jesus Christ. See, God wants Wasmasaw Baptist Church to be a light of hope in a dark world. He wants us to be a lighthouse for God. I love missionary biographies, and one of my favorite missionaries is C.T. Hood, who stood, who spent the majority of his life in India and Africa as a missionary. And he put it this way. He said, some wish to live within the sound of chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's what God wants us to be. A rescue shop, rescuing lost people from hell. And it all begins with you and me. You know, soon we're going to launch a, a new ministry in our church called Pray and Go. And, and this is going to be a ministry where we go out into the neighborhoods in our community and, and we pray over each household. And we pray for those within that household. And, and we leave a door hanger telling them that Wasmasaw Baptist Church prayed for them. Early this coming year, we're going to have conversational witness training. We're going to have classes to equip you to be a better witness for Jesus. But you know the best way you can be a witness for Jesus? And as easy as pie, even a child can do it. Just invite someone to church. That's as simple as it gets. Will you come with me to church? Will you meet me here? Will you come to church? That's the easiest way to be a witness for Christ so they can hear the gospel and maybe get saved. Yes, God wants to shape changes. But secondly, God wants to fill. He wants to fill your life and my life with the word of God. Let me ask you, are you in the word of God daily? Are you in the word of God daily? You know, every Christian needs to be fed the Word of God daily, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. How would you like it if you just ate one meal a day? That, that, that wouldn't be very healthy. And it's not very healthy just to come to church or Sunday school and you read the Bible a little bit and that's it. That's your spiritual meal for the week. That's not very healthy. God wants to fill your life not only with the Word, but he wants to fill your life with God's love for others. You know, Jesus put it this way in John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you love the brethren? 
I mean, really love your brothers and sisters. We must never say that we love God if we don't love his people. You know, John in 1 John 4, 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John says we're just living a lie if we say that we love God but do not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm afraid there's a lot of lying going on in the church. God wants to fill your life and my life with his love for others. And God also wants to fill our lives with his peace, God's peace. You know, this year has been a tough year. It's been the toughest year in my life, really. But God promises his peace. I love what, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasseth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is the peace of God? The peace of God is that inner assurance that God is in control. The peace of God is just living out the truth of Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together for good, the good and the bad. He is working all things together for our ultimate good and his glory. The peace of God. Yes, God wants to fill your life. God also wants to fill our church. He wants to fill our church with unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity, it's, it's no accident. It has to be maintained. And Paul says maintain that unity. And then I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good it is, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Oh, my friend, but I want to tell you how terrible and unpleasant it is when there is not unity in God's church. God wants to fill our church with, with, with unity. And God wants to fill our church with prayer. Did you know in almost every epistle the Apostle Paul penned to the churches that he founded and ministered to, he lifted them up in prayer, and sometimes on multiple occasions. Sometimes three prayers in one epistle. A prayerless church is a powerless church. A praying church is a powerful church. You know, my top priority for Wasmasal Baptist is for us to be a praying church. To make prayer a real part of every aspect of our ministry as a church. In our worship services, in our Sunday school classes, there needs to be prayer. Be before the lesson begins, there needs to be prayer. Uh, praying for your lost friends, praying for, 
for our church, just praying for one another. In small groups, there needs to be prayer, intentional prayer. In our staff meetings, deacons meetings, there needs to be prayer. At all our committee meetings and ministry team meetings, there needs to be prayer. We need to bathe everything we do, every decision we make as a church in fervent prayer. Let me close with just two challenges. God wants to change your life and mine. He wants to make you more like Jesus. Will you allow him to do that? Will you allow him to to make the necessary change in your life for him to accomplish that purpose? Will you give him the reins of your life and say, Lord, you take over? Secondly, God wants to change our church. And make our church a light for God in this community. Will you ask and and sincerely pray for God to bring that about? God wants to fill your life. Will you allow God to fill you with his word daily? Will you allow him to, to fill you with his love for one another? Will you allow him to fill you with his peace regardless of what you face in life? You'll know his peace and presence. God wants to fill our church too. Will you ask God to fill our church with unity? I mean true unity and love for one another with prayer. You know, this year, this year can be a new beginning in your life and in the life of our church. You know why? Dr. Chaffer was right because God never grows weary of new beginnings. My friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can have a new beginning starting today. You really can. He can change your life. You know, the Bible says that that we're all born into this world sinners. All of us are. We're all entering in this world the same way, sinners who need a Savior. And the Bible says that God sent us a Savior, and his name is Jesus, one who came, lived a perfect life, rescued us from our, rescued us from our sins by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. And the Bible says that if we simply are willing to face up to our sin, to repent of that sin, and to believe that Jesus died and rose again for us and trust him and him alone as our Savior, he will do a great miracle in our lives. He will forgive us. He will forgive us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And he will give you a new life, a new beginning that will end in heaven for all eternity. If you haven't put your trust in him, I encourage you to put your trust in him today. Let's pray together.